So this Sunday, uh, we inadvertently didn't record the uh, the message, and so I'm just going to kind of do a podcast today and and uh, go over what we talked about on on Sunday. The title of the message is "Your Purpose, Calling, and Gifting from God," and those three things—the purpose, the calling, the gifting from God—are all wrapped up in our weakness. And so, kind of taking those four things and talking through them and extracting some, hopefully, some nuggets of truth that that can help us, especially today with regard to finding our purpose in life. It's really interesting to think we people always ask, you know, what is God's purpose for my life? And really our question should be, what? how does my life fit into God's purpose? Uh, it really kind of turns things around. But we're going to be reading from Exodus 1, 2, 3, and part of 4, and we probably actually won't get that far today um, because we only got through part of the message on Sunday, so... So I'm going to be reading from Exodus and just uh, going kind of verse by verse and extracting truths, focusing in particular on God's purpose for our life. And so starting in Exodus 1, it says, um, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt. Now, just backing up real quick, Israel, uh, his, his actual name was Jacob. And his father's name was Isaac, and Isaac's father's name was Abraham. And so part of the way through Jacob's life, um, God uh, had an encounter with him and changed his name to Israel. And that's where we kind of get the um, reference to the children of Israel. They were the children of Jacob. And obviously, as generation after generation uh, went on or passed, uh, there continue to be more and more children of Israel. So here we're hearing of Israel's 12 sons. Um, there was uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, um, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. And the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. So if you recall the story of Joseph, who was one of uh, Jacob's 12 sons, he was the one who his brothers sold into slavery because he was favored by his father. And uh, he had a coat of many colors. And uh, so Joseph ended up in Egypt. It's an extremely interesting story. And I'll tell you, if you read the Bible, you're not going to be bored. Um, we read about Joseph's story in quite a bit of detail, how he went from a slave all the way to the prime minister of Egypt and through a long set of circumstances, his brother and his father came to join him in uh, in Egypt. So we read on in verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. Um, and at that point, Joseph and his generation were highly favored by the king of Egypt. He's referred to as the Pharaoh. And uh, they were given the best part of the land there in Egypt. It was the land of Goshen. Uh, so this generation of Hebrews or Jews died, and um, they began to increase generation after generation. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, a new Pharaoh, <clears throat> uh, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came in power in Egypt, and he said, Look, 
he said of these of these his, to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come now, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So he put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. Uh, they built a couple of store cities for the for the Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. And if we stop here and think of what happens when folks are oppressed, godly folks are oppressed, you can't stop them. The church in China, which is being oppressed, is growing by millions, even though it's there's, there's repression against it. Um, the church in Iran is growing exponentially, even though uh, that country is oppressing Christianity. So let me tell you what, whenever God is involved, no matter how much something opposes you or oppresses you, you will flourish. And that was very evidenced in Joseph's life, if you read that story. Moving on, though, verse 14 of Exodus 1, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shiphra and uh, Opa, hopefully I pronounced those right, when you were helping the, Israel, the Hebrew women during childbirth on, del- on the delivery stool, if you see that the boy, the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Well, that sounds like our partial birth abortion direction that our country's taking right now. It's tragic. Verse 17, Then the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. And that's what the fear of the Lord has to do with. It's not a, a bad fear. It's essentially saying, you know, the fear of the Lord is this. It's essentially saying, I really care more what God thinks about me and my situation than what people think about me and my situation. And that's exactly what we see with these ladies here. They were more concerned with what God thought than what people thought. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Because they were they were letting these little boys live. Why have you let the boys live? The midwives, midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased uh, and become became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, they gave uh, God gave them families of their own. And that's what happens when we fear God and we honor what God tells us to do. Think about it. When you honor what God tells you to do, he's going to bless you. You're going to see blessings, uh, blessing upon blessing in your life. Uh, that's certainly been the case with me. Every time I obey God, I listen to him, I cooperate with God, because that's what obedience is. Obedience isn't just going out and doing what God tells you on your own strength. No, it's cooperating with God. He's working, and so I cooperate with him and work uh, in tandem with him and and do the very things that I see him doing. That's what Jesus said. He said, um, I can't do anything except for what I see my father doing. And uh, we're no different. We can't do anything except for what we see our Father doing. 
So the Pharaoh gave an order to all the people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And what chapter one of Exodus has done here is given the backstory of a man named Moses, the, the, the culture, the, the, the reality of slavery that Moses uh, was aware of, was not necessarily raised in, but was aware of. And whenever you talk about backstories, and we're talking about purpose in all of this, what's your backstory? Take, it, take just a minute to stop and think, what's your backstory? What events, both good and bad, have molded you into the purpose, into the person that you are, and given you the purpose that you have? We all we need to stop and think about that, and, and instead of uh, you know sweeping our past under the the rug and ignoring it, it's we need to pay attention to it. We need to contemplate what our past has done for us, and even what our past has done to us, because it all works into the purpose that God has for our life. So let's read on in Exodus 2. Now, a man of the tri- tribe of Levi, Levi married a Levite woman, um, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, I want you to picture this mom. For nine months, she's pregnant with a child, and every day she's praying, God, let this be a girl. Let this be a girl. Please don't let me have a boy. She couldn't imagine going through the the trauma of having her little boy uh, killed. But nine months passed. She gave birth. And can you imagine her laying or sitting there and saying, what is, what is it? What is it? And the midwife saying, it's a boy. It's a boy. And of course, she looked at the boy and thought, this is a fine boy. What mother doesn't do that? What, what dad doesn't do that when their little one is born? Um, I'll tell you, I haven't seen too many cute babies be born. They get cuter after a week or two, but at first they're not. But, but, but here we see Moses' mom saying, this is a fine, this is a fine child. So she, uh, she hit him for three months. And can you imagine the paper-thin walls of their hut, and uh, Moses' mother shushing the baby and, and gently patting him on the back, trying to keep him from crying, keeping the door closed at all times, and trying to keep him well-fed and, and hoping that he'll sleep and not wake up in the middle of the night. I can only imagine the kind of stress that she was under. Verse 3 of chapter 2 of Exodus, But when she could hide him no longer... Because you know, babies, when they get to three months, they're not only crying, but they're cooing, they're making noises. Um, there's there's a lot more to tend to in terms of trying to keep a baby quiet. So she could hit, keep him hidden no longer. She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Now, back then, papyrus was, back then and nowadays, is a, is a water plant, comes from a water plant. And the Egyptians would use papyrus to write on and, and even as a canvas to paint on. Uh, but they would actually make their own boats out of papyrus. And so she essentially made a little basket or a little boat and placed her little baby uh, in, uh, in that boat or in that little basket uh, along the reeds, along the bank of the Nile. If you've ever heard of the Nile crocodile, 
Uh, I don't know if there's crocodiles up that far north on the Nile, but uh, there's certainly a lot of creatures, and it uh, couldn't have even been that peaceful for her knowing that her child uh, was, was rocked gently by the waters of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Uh, then the Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. This is the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, one of the princesses of Egypt. She opened it and saw the baby, and he was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, that is the sister of the little baby, asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I want you to stop and think about this for a second. The baby's mother had a plan here. She knew where the princess went to bathe along the Nile and uh, had to have strategically uh, set the little papyrus basket close by in hopes that this very thing would happen. Now, we don't know this for certain, but it would certainly seem that there was a plan uh, kind of hatching here and and in play. And so in verse 8, the princess of Egypt says, yes, go. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. Now, can you imagine this mother's relief? The very princess of Pharaoh is telling her, here's your baby back. If anybody says or does anything to him or, or wants to do anything to him, you tell them that I told them to leave the baby alone. And furthermore, I'm going to pay you to do what you want to do. Isn't that amazing how God works? Absolutely amazing. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. He became part of the royal court. He became known as part of Pharaoh's family, the king's family. She named him, this is the the princess, named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. Now, Verse 11, it says, one day after Moses had grown up, and you always kind of scratch your head and kind of wonder what, uh, how grown up was he? Was he as a young adult? Was he in his 30s, his 40s? Well, if you look at Acts 7, I believe it's verse 23, um, it makes mention that, that at or around this time, Moses was actually 40 years old. I think it's very important to to understand, if it's possible, to understand the age of people and when they did certain things so that we can identify with them. If I'm in my late 30s, early 40s, you know, I can kind of understand Moses and I can understand some of his actions possibly. But it says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Now, uh, this is interesting um, because it says in verse 10, and I'm, I may have actually skipped this, when the, when the child grew older, um, that means Moses was with his mom to an age where he actually remembered her. And he must have remembered his family. And he must have remembered his, his Jewish or his Hebrew heritage. And so 
this was not uh, an aspect of his life that he had forgotten, especially given that it says here he went out to watch his own people. There's a connection there. He understood who they were. And so he saw at this time, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Uh, Now, let me tell you what, when you see a family member getting beat up or someone you know and care about, a friend suffering violence, uh, it's hard not to do anything. And so in verse 12, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, the whole idea here of what we're talking about is, is our purpose, God's purpose for our life, or our, pur- our purpose, our life for God's purpose. And here we begin to see a clue of the purpose that Moses had inside of him. See, we have purpose from the day we're born. God places destiny into our lives from the day we're born. In fact, God has plans for us before the time we're even conceived. He knows who we're going to be, what we're going to do, what tendencies and inclinations we're going to have, what our weaknesses are, what our strengths are. And in all of that, he places purpose in our life. And that purpose uh, manifests or it kind of comes up, comes up to the surface every so often and shows its face so that we can see the purpose that's inside of us and others can see it as well. And so here, although Moses, is, he didn't... Uh, use his purpose appropriately, he murdered someone, we can see that Moses had the purpose. And the purpose here is very clear. He was a deliverer. He was going to do whatever it took to deliver whoever needed to be delivered, especially those of his own kind. And so he was born with this deliverance type of purpose. It's funny, not funny, interesting, that this purpose didn't seem to surface until Moses was in the middle of his life. You've heard of middle life crisis? Uh, yeah, these these things come as a result. These midlife crises come as a result of us not fulfilling our purpose in earlier years or not knowing what our purpose was. And so we're constantly looking for purpose. And and here we see in, in the middle of Moses's life, him beginning to act with purpose. So in verse 13 of Exodus 2, the next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. So that night, imagine this, blood on his conscience, Moses goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning, probably early, with the thrill of purpose. He is finally tasted. Granted, he took the wrong approach. I'm not recommending that anybody go out and murder anybody. But he woke up with purpose, and it drove him back out to where his people were, away from his comfort zone, away from what he knew, away from safety and back out into the danger zone. And that's what happens with purpose, man, when purpose is is birthed in us and we begin to see what it is and we can touch it and feel it and sense it. It's going to drive us to do unbelievable things that we would never have done otherwise. So he gets up the next day, goes back out And he sees these two Hebrews fighting. He asks them, what's wrong? Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler or judge over us? Now, here's here's Moses' second 
purpose uh, that's inside of him. See, we, we're multi, uh, multi-purposed in our lives. We don't just have one purpose. We have more than one purpose, maybe many purposes. But here, it's interesting that a, 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 a party that doesn't even know Moses, a person who doesn't even know Mo- Moses, can see Moses's purpose as clear as day. He says, who made you ruler or judge over us? And, and in this, uh, if you read the rest of the story of Moses in the books of Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, we find that Moses indeed was a ruler and was a judge. But here this purpose is, is, is made clear to someone uh, other than Moses himself. The man goes on to say, are you thinking of killing me like you kill that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, uh-oh, what I did must have become known. Well, yeah. It sure was, Uh, because in the next verse, we see in verse 15, when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses. So uh, Moses was a persona non grata in the royal family and in the in the country of Egypt. And and so Moses had to flee from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Now, Midian um, is is modern day Saudi Arabia, just south of the Jordanian uh, border. Um, it's on the, would say, on the uh, east side of the Red Sea. And so there, um, and it's interesting, whenever we think the bottom's fallen out and our lives are over and nothing ever good is ever going to happen to us again, there again, purpose reveals itself to us. And so uh, uh, Moses flees uh, to Midian and there he sat down by a well. Now this is this area of the of the world is is a looks like the surface of Mars. I mean, there's it's it's pure desert, and he finds a well, sits down by it. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs of water uh, for their father's flock flocks. They were shepherdesses. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up. And here again, we see what happens when purpose takes hold of our lives, even in our worst, uh, dreariest situations, we stand up. Purpose drives us to stand up. We're not going to be sitting around any longer. We're tired of our comfort zones. We're tired of being fruitless in our lives and not having shown results. And we want to do something. So Moses got up, even though his life was completely crushed. And he came to their rescue and watered their flocks. And here is the third purpose that's evidenced in Moses's life, even through a time of, of crisis, a time of, of, I'm sure, sadness and confusion. Uh, here, his purpose is this. He's a rescuer. He's, he's going to help the underdog. He's going to help those who can't help themselves. That's the kind of guy Moses was. And as you read on the story of Moses, you see this become very, very clear and very apparent in the way that he lived and acted. So in verse 18, the girls returned to their father. He asked them, why have you returned so early today? Apparently, they got bullied like this all the time. And so he was surprised that they'd come back so quickly. They answered, an Egyptian, there's the word, rescued us. There was Moses' purpose. He rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flocks. And where is he now? Uh, The father asked his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. 
Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And so often, our purpose actually puts us, can put us, into uncomfortable situations. A foreigner in a foreign land, uh, a place where I didn't plan to go, doing things that I didn't plan to do. But you know what? When God's purpose takes hold of us, that just really doesn't matter anymore because purpose is more important than our own comfort. Verse 23, during a long period of time, the king of Egypt died. Okay, Moses' enemy, the person who sought to kill him, died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery. At this point, there's some approximately 2 million, just under 2 million people as slaves in Egypt. And they groaned in slavery and they cried out. Now, it's interesting. They'd been there already uh, over probably over 300 years. Why did it take the Israelites over 300 years of slavery to finally cry out to the Lord. Because look at this, their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Verse 24, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And I want to go back to this point. Why does it take us so long to call out to God when we're miserable? We'll sit there and blame God, or we'll complain, or we'll bite our tongue and say, I, I can make it through this, or, or we'll say something crazy like, well, other people have it harder than I do, and we don't cry out to God. If we would cry out to God, he would answer us, and he would change the situation eventually for us. In fact, in the Bible, I believe it's Romans 9 or 10. I believe it's chapter 9, verse 10. Hope I have that right. Um, maybe around verse 13, it says, "Those it, it says, anyone or everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does the word saved mean? It means rescued. If we will simply open up our mouths and say, God, help me, he will answer us and he will help us. But it's up to us, instead of trying to always be resourceful in, in our own selves and, and get away from that and say, I got to start trusting God. I, I need help from God Almighty. And so here we see these folks finally doing this after hundreds of years of oppression and God taking action. God's waiting to hear from us. But Exodus 3, we're not too far from being done here. Um, chapter 3, verse 1, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So here we find Moses' fourth purpose, shining through him doing something automatically, naturally, without probably being asked. He was a shepherd leader. There's a lot of people who are leaders or claim to be leaders, but I don't think there's too many shepherd leaders. What is what is a shepherd leader? A, sh a shepherd leader is someone who actually cares for those he is leading or she is leading. 
they actually care for them. Uh, they, they, they watch over them. They protect them. They defend them. Uh, the, yes, they guide them and, 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 and even discipline sometimes. But a shepherd leader is a different type of leader, and there's not too many of those in the world today. And so Moses here was shepherding a flock of sheep all around the desert um, that very soon he would be uh, shepherding two million people around that same desert. But he was fulfilling a purpose that was just naturally inside of him. And let me tell you what, the purposes that you have inside of you come naturally for you. They come naturally. You don't have to make them happen. They're just there. You just happen to maybe uh, defend people. You might just naturally um, want to inspire someone by by maybe through your public speaking skills or your writing skills you want to inspire people or 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 maybe your purpose is just to to support folks and to to, to serve i don't know what your purpose is but it's inside of you and it's wanting to come out really bad so let your purpose come out of you and express itself in its own unique way cuz there's only there, you you're the only you there's nobody out there like you, and if you don't fulfill your purpose, your purpose will go unfulfilled, and no one will will be able to make up for the difference. But look at look at Moses's four purposes. He was a deliverer um, to the extent that he was radical about it. Uh, he was a judge ruler. Uh, that means he was a referee. He would come between people and decide who was in the right, who was in the wrong, and what needed to be done. Uh, he was a rescuer. He came uh, to the rescue of those who were the underdog, who were, say, being bullied. And then fourthly, he was a shepherd leader. And these, these purposes uh, couldn't help but surface in Moses' life. So I'm going to stop there next Sunday. Uh, we're going to delve further into how God uses his calling on our life to bring our purpose to life. So I'm going to pray really quick for you um, that you would fulfill God's purpose for your life and that your life would come into agreement and to alignment with God's purpose. Christ Jesus, I pray right now for anybody that's listening, Lord, that you would just uh, bring incredible purpose um, to anyone who's listening, Lord Jesus. Oh God, Lord, let their the, the, the purpose that they were born with and born for, Lord, let it come to life within them. Lord Jesus, don't let us ever let our comfort zones keep us from fulfilling the incredible adventure that you've called us to uh, to live in and to see a great fruit from, Lord Jesus. Oh God, let your purposes be manifest and come to the surface in each and every one of us, I pray. And I thank you, Lord, for it. In your name I pray. Amen. I'm going to end by reminding you of this. If you're going through a miserable time, you're going through a struggle, I encourage you to call on the name of the Lord. Remember that verse. I believe it was Romans 9, 13. Um, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I, I encourage you to do that. God bless you.